0: We need to develop robust anti fragile children by providing enough guidelines, but letting them to explore and in the in the set parameters so it's not it can 't be an academy s and c session because someone might hate but doesn't doesn't want to play for the exeter chief but actually still needs to be able to walk up the stairs without a breath, help carry the shopping for their parents. Uh, so that sort of stuff. But in the in the well-being lessons, we talk a lot, uh, we put some context into it, but it's definitely not an SSC session where you go, right, bang, on the board, off you go.
1: I'm your host as always, Todd Davidson, and on episode 42 of the Platform to Perform podcast, I spoke with the last professional duo sport athlete that this country has had and the director of sport at Wellington School, Stefan Jones. The reason why I love this chat with Stefan is because despite being a competitive athlete in rugby and cricket, he will advocate in this podcast why sport needs to be divorced from PE and how we accommodate that as PE teachers and within the curriculum. We also spoke about how the traditional PE model violates principles of skill acquisition and why and how he's gone about rebranding PE through the wellbeing lens. Thank you very much for listening and I'll catch you again on the other side. How are you doing today, Stefan?
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you. Episode 42. Good effort, man. Yes, yeah, uh, we're picking up steam. We're picking up steam.
1: I mean, I'm, I, I know you're on half term as well, but this will be quite a few episodes crammed into uh, this week. So I noticed you're uh, testing your guys this week. So it's interesting to see how other teachers or people with schools utilize that free time.
0: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting times, isn't it? It's um I'm over it now, as most people are. I think it, it it's tough, but it's just about making do at the minute. Is the school you're going to do as best as we can? Um, but probably all of the stuff that I'm going to talk to you about is probably pre and post COVID. <laughs> but at the minute, I think we we just get it. We just do what we do just to keep our kids active and mentally sort of strong and stable, man. Because it's tough.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll we'll dive into the specifics of what you guys are doing um, from the PE side of things uh, a little bit later. But just to kick things off, um, what is your philosophy when it comes to uh, training people, whether that's kids in your PE classes, whether it's the work with your fast bowlers, um, what what do you feel your philosophy is? Because it's quite two different populations that you're used to.
0: And a lot of people ask that actually, and I never come up with the same answer twice. <laughs> but, but 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 the basis of it is individual needs always come first. That is a big thing. It's like everyone will go about things uh, in a different way that's unique to them, in an idiosyncratic way. Um, you know, when whatever we're doing, we have a starting point uh, and an end point and an intention to achieve whatever is in that session, whether that's fast bowling or playing stuck in the mud with year four or whatever, but how they go about it then in between those two points, uh, I think is individual. uh, And that's the big thing about my coaching, whether it's coaching fast bowlers or young kids, it's allowing them to explore how in, but in a, constrained environment that I know where I want to go I I know like fast bowling I know my attractors and my fluctuators but I will design a drill or a session that will get them to the end point but in their own way individual needs come first is a big thing
1: I think that's something that a lot of people miss Um, in the field of strength and conditioning a lot of people say oh you can't just apply the adult model to kids and I'm like well not in exact terms no but it's more your coaching delivery will change the principles of training or the principles of skill acquisition they're there but it's the delivery that's going to change
0: absolutely and you're spot on there I've not heard a lot say that so awesome it it is and it's uh, the the principles are always the same and like you say it's how it's our skill as, as coaches then to deliver it in an appropriate way for our audience, whether that's coaching my 11-year-old daughter, who's pretty advanced now, but she's advanced because we've been doing the same thing since she was five years of age, or coaching a varanara or a Nadkat. You know, it, the principles are the same. It, it's respecting um, respecting movement, but respecting anthropometry, respecting that individual and also understanding the difference between style and technique. You know, there, there's, everyone's got an individual style, whatever they want to do, but there's a technique to everything that we need to um, all aim towards, really.
1: And uh, in terms of physical education, one of the um, blogs that I read of yours, which really got me thinking, was about what physical education looks like to you. And I'm sure to a lot of PE teachers who have done their teacher training many, many years ago, that might ruffle a few feathers. But you said that physical education. I'm just going to read read a quote from the blog because I particularly liked it. Physical education program should be void of any sport and focus on the physical literacy of its pupils and also provide a theoretical understanding of what is required to lead a healthy lifestyle. So void of sport, that's going to ruffle a few feathers. So um, walk me through what you're thinking there.
0: Well, that, that's good isn't it that's what that's what for me coaching and coming up with new uh new ways new philosophy it, it's it's not about disagreeing or agreeing it's just about questioning it's just about questioning the status quo is what we're doing in the past is it right awesome if it is well done let's crack on let's do it but if actually if there's a better way let's just sit down and 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 do it, come up with with a better way. And that's all I do with my coaching. And uh, I, I, I'm a neurotype one in, in terms of neurotyping. So I, I don't care on other people's opinions. Uh, and I mean that respectfully. Um, everyone's entitled to their opinion. If you don't like what I have to say or the way I coach, please sort of with respect and respectfully move on and go somewhere else. I'm not saying it's right, but. My focus is improving um, the health, well-being, the movement skills of the young children at our school. Uh, And I'm I'm blessed to be in control of that as director of sport so I can have an impact. And being a high performance coach, I know it's a unique model where on one day I'm with the Rajasthan Royals and then I flew home. And the very next day, my first lesson was year six girls' cricket. And that is not normal. That's not that's not a normal thing to have as a director of sport, but I want to utilize that and to, to make a difference. So the first thing I did five years ago, you have to separate sport from physical education. Sport can P cannot be um an opportunity to train your good ones to go out and do a bit more rugby because we're playing local school on a Saturday and we want to win that because we get more bums on seats. It can't be that because 99% of the class, that doesn't interest them. So what are we saying that 99%, we're only concerned with that 1%. That's not me. That's not us as a school. And that will never, ever be wherever I go. That's not right. You know, on one hand, I'm very elite. But on the other hand, it's about providing opportunities for everyone to develop, and also P can't be uh, an opportunity to do the sports that your school doesn't see as target or that important. So your your volleyball, your basketball, your badminton, your tennis, or and those sports that we're in. You're, And and they'll say, well, we are doing it. It's in the curriculum. We're doing it in PE. But it's like, yeah, but you're doing five hours of rugby. Uh, and, And so for what I said was, yeah, we have target sports and we have subsidiary sports. And those sports that are traditionally put into PE, I would count as subsidiary sports for the general population, for school. But actually, it's a target sport for that one person who plays that sport so, and that deserves a, a session in itself you know and so they get an extra one two so they go in their clubs after school which is called the performance hour to do those sports to do your basketball badminton tennis No, you know whether we're good at them or whether we are like t- the coaching good enough for them It's something for me to sort out, but there is a slot for that sport as well as a slot for your traditional rugby, cricket, hockey. That was the first thing that deserved the respect. And the same thing is everyone needs to um, learn how to move, learn how to sprint, uh, learn how to brace for contact, learn um, hand-eye coordination, because you and I both know it. it's easy to win it's easy to win games on Saturdays at school. You just got to give a hundred percent scholarship to a very early developer, or you um, you get a belt in S and C in to make them faster, stronger. That that is that is, and you're going to win games. So I we never give hundred percent scholarship. I I think that's very wrong, and I wouldn't would never do it. But we can make everyone faster, stronger, more coordinated, more robust in their P lessons, which will then help them do whatever they want to do. Whether they want to do a CrossFit session with their mates in university, whether they want to play for their house or whatever it is in their university, or they want to play for England or they want to play for Wales. But everyone deserves that foundational um, movement library let's say that they need a, everyone needs a big library of movement that then they can just pick pick and choose when they what they want to do and when they want to do it so our our p lessons are called well-being now and it also has a theory element to it again this was pre-covid and will be post-covid at the minute we've had to sort of uh, break it down a bit uh in simpler but in principle you have four uh, physical well-being sessions of four weeks so you have a uh, speed game speed uh, you have acceleration you have energy system development and you have agility in excel uh, an acceleration you'd have sort of jumping and uh, and every one of them actually we this year we've gone for a uh, Concurrent model where where actually every session is doing uh, strength, doing power, doing speed, but the focus, the belly of the session, is is one of those four. So you're going to have a child at at school now who's done 28 weeks of S&C, and and that to me is like that's awesome. (laughs) And you know, but but we we don't shout about it a lot, but you know, I do. Um, But it's it's a gives them a great foundation in life and then you have the theory-based stuff of diet and nutrition they actually cooked in uh, appeal and a well-being lesson and emotional and in mental uh, emotional and mental health uh, goal setting personality types coping mechanisms 28 28 week um, module with testing sort of at the start and end of each term and
1: in terms of again i don't know whether this is perhaps a again a controversial opinion but uh in speaking to other strength conditioning coaches who've either gone through their teaching degrees or are now working in um public schools they make the argument that PE also shouldn't turn into the sort of strength conditioning you might see uh in a traditional academy setup um but there are definitely some similarities so how would for example what you've just outlined there is your physical education curriculum and lessons delivered in that how might that look different to say what it would look like in the strength and conditioning suite with i don't
0: know maybe some of your yeah. scholarship athletes yeah uh well firstly it's uh we talk morning, so you talk, you explain everything, you use the whiteboard, you use the video analysis, so it's about educating them as well uh, and i'm a and i'm a firm believer on actually that schools are just going down the Academy route and we're introducing um, too much S and C high level stuff early in their, in their uh, development, you know, um, and there was a quote um, from William Wayland where he said, you don't want to dig, you don't want to dig the well too deep. So you lose the bucket. So in other words, you know, you can't give everything early doors. You can't give them, like, uh, complex training and heavy weights training, early stimulus, early in their development, because where do they go then? You know, uh, and I I didn't lift weights. So it's, I, I get passionate about things because I look back at my development. I, I was skilled, you know. Uh, I was skilled at rugby. I could do things that a lot of people couldn't do, but I couldn't tackle. Uh, because I was worried about my shoulders, but I could sidestep dummy. Uh, you know, I used to score loads of tries, but it was built from free play. It was built on uh, just going down the park on my own, um, pretending I was Phil Bennett, Barry John, running, sidestepping, chipping, kicking on my own, away from any organised session. Uh, and I then I joined a team when I was 13, I used to watch my dad, he was a coach, I watched my dad used to play a lot when he was back then, I used to be in the nets bowling, put stuff down, so I got that dopamine sensitivity by free play, and then at 14, I remember someone telling me, "Um, why don't you play for team, and I thought, okay, I will, and I ended up playing, and then I developed, and I Developed, okay, yeah, fast bowling. I did that in the summer. And then in the winter, I played rugby. So I played a lot. And I didn't lift weights until I was 23, 24. I didn't touch it. Mainly through the fact that old coaches used to say, as a fast bowler, you don't want to do too much weights because they'll bulk you up, stiff you up and all that. So I didn't do it. But then the rugby coach, when I was around 20, said, you're too small. So I had to lift weights. And then... My bowling speed increased and I was like, but then I went down the rabbit hole of doing too much weights and it it doesn't work. Then you and I know that too much strength will not improve your sport. But what I'm trying to say is let the kids be kids, let them play in outside. You know, we do uh, in the summer, we call it, we do a free sort of mesocycle where you just do whatever you want to just go out and play don't have to have commands, it's a proper uh, fragile generation of, uh, and it became evident in, in remote learning, COVID, what am I going to do today? You haven't told me what to do. And I'm like, just do whatever you want to, go out and play. We need to develop robust anti-fragile children by providing enough guidelines, but letting them to explore and in the, in the set parameters. So, it's not, it can't be an academy S and C session because someone might hate, but doesn't don't, doesn't want to play for the Exeter chief, but actually still needs to be able to walk up the stairs without a breath, help carry the shopping for their parents, uh, so that sort of stuff. But in the in the well being lessons, we talk a lot, uh, we put some context into it, but it's definitely not an S C session where you go right bang on the board off you go
1: yeah it's funny because just hearing you talk i resonate with it massively um but for some of the online learning that i've been delivering it's a bunch of movement exploration lessons that i've filmed and i've even as part of uh, our safeguarding procedure we're not allowed to have the kids on camera um which is fine but you now but obviously not being able to see whether kids are struggling whether they're thriving is difficult yeah. so in the feedback I've asked them to give me on the lessons. I've put stuff like, How could you make this movement easier, more challenging, or more fun? And the amount of times I've had kids write, I don't know. Yeah. And you're thinking, Where some of them have said, Oh, I'd create an obstacle course, or I'd do this, or I got my sister and brother involved. And you think that's fantastic. But I agree with you with the anti fragile children because there's even in sport, you have mum and dad who are either officiating or getting the kids there, or all of a sudden when it's not organized, Kids don't learn stuff like the boundaries of what's acceptable, and what's not acceptable. How do we resolve it if I'm playing you in a one v one and I think you fouled me, but you don't yeah. think you have?
0: All of these skills
1: which don't get yeah. developed if there's an adult supervising.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, like I said, and that article I wrote, which I reposted uh, last week, has got Lords. It's actually got more positive feedback now post COVID. Than it did pre-COVID, which tells me uh, COVID was a reset. I wish it never happened. We all wish it never happened. But it's a reset for schools. It's a reset for teachers, for parents. You know now, parents have got more respect for teachers because they've had to do it at home, and actually we have more respect now for for just what we provide at at school. You know, we need to use every opportunity we have to create and it have a, make a difference because we don't know it might be taken away like next week. So there's no, we can't be box ticking and just, just cruising towards lunch break or, you know, after school and paycheck teachers, I call them. It's like we can't do that because it might be taken away from us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And another point that you kind of alluded to when you were speaking earlier, and it's definitely one I'd like you to uh, elaborate on, is the concept of people who confuse uh, elite for elitists and saying, actually, yeah. you can have an elite physical education programme, which is not elitist. Do you want to just elaborate on yeah.
0: that a little bit? Uh, uh, yeah, I- I'm actually uh, really passionate that, that, about that as well. It- it's just just because... Um, we're not elitist it's not about winning on a saturday it doesn't doesn't float my boat it's not what my driver it's not why I, why I do what I do you obviously don't want to lose every saturday but we try and do a fixture card where it's about 70-30 so we need to lose three games to learn Uh, you actually learn more from losing but then you don't want to be that to become a habit and losing become a habit which we have done as a school uh, historically because we're in a strong neighborhood here we've got you know we've got milfield blundell's taunton queens exeter sherborne there's some kings you know big schools here so and we're all going for the same child because it is a business private school is a business so we needed a usp and our USP is that individual needs come first and the movement well-being programme. That's our USP and the fast bowling programme as well. But it's, so it's Saturday games. They're, they're a, another opportunity to learn. That's what they are because it's a school. We are a school. It's education. Um, but that doesn't mean we're like ass Rovers. That That doesn't mean that. So you still can have elite mindset. You can still have growth mindset. You can still have elite quality training program, elite quality coaching, um, elite quality preparation, motor learning, skill acquisition session. You can still have elite habits, but that doesn't make you elitist. Elitist is just doing all that for one person, that for that one person who's at 100% scholarship and is always going to be good. So what what I say is, you know, your child is is talented when they arrive. Fifty percent of your child is the DNA. You know, if you're not happy with, with the quality or the skill levels, sorry, I've not had an impact yet. It's they were born like that. <laughs> you know, that it's DNA, it's the genes, it's the phenotypes, with forty nine percent is strength, you know, you're born with it. But my our role, my my role as leader, director of sport of the sport is to squeeze the sponge is to get as much out of the remaining 50%. And that might be only 10%, 20%, 30%. Or if we get the right buy-in, the right attitude, the right support from parents, the right opportunity, the right facilities, we can actually squeeze a lot out of that sponge. And that then you judge us. You judge on the added value, what they, what they were when they arrived and what they are when they leave. You know, we have some who say, for example, a fast bowler who arrives, doesn't play um, age group but district level cricket, doesn't play it, but then leaves and opens the bowling for a minor counties team. He's not a professional. He's not an opening bowler for England because they normally, those talents are all already being given 100% scholarship or gone someone else. So we've got the ones below them, but normally have the best attitude and we've added value. We we can't, you know, and, and you know, oh, I could get into trouble with this one now, but I don't care. This the that um, the table on the best sport schools in the country. Well, what is that about? We've we, we've been in lockdown. We've been in COVID. Who's done sport? How can you judge someone who's not done sport? And you and you, <laughs> I'm like, I looked at that. and went, hang on. Um, we've missed the whole year of school. So how can you judge this table? And even if we hadn't got COVID and lockdown and lockdown sport, how is this right? Because I know, you know, I know what happens in other schools because a lot of them come here to see what we're doing. And it's not, it might be the best first team rugby or the best first team hockey or cricket, but that's not, doesn't make you a good sports school. It, it, it's, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I could go all day with that one. Oh, but I love it. It, it just just winds me up that and it's it doesn't it doesn't judge you as a coach, it doesn't judge you as a school. What it judges is that you have a good rugby team. You might have a great cohort of hockey netball team who are full of early developers. And we're all, we're always talented, despite what your program's done, you're always talented. And you're telling me you're the best school in the country or in the world for that team? It's like, come on, we need to, we need to move on, Louis.
1: <laughs> it also, it also makes you question. And don't get me wrong, I, I do get it in a certain respect. If you're a sporty parent and you've not come across conversations like the one we're having now, I can understand why you might, you know, think that that is somehow a measure of a school's success. But it makes you think. No wonder PE and sport are just confused as the same yeah. thing when we're doing things like that like where are the metrics for as you say a school's improvement on a kids well-being
0: yeah it is and you know and it is so what we did again i'm talking pre-covid we do we did webinars and we had parents evenings so we got them in and tried to talk about to educate the parents because they have more impact than we're ever going to have so we need buy-in from parents before we have buy-in from children because so then you try and educate them on nutrition i educate try to get a bit of neurotyping in there the dopamine and not actually sort of uh putting them into um supporting them into a cotton wool scenario where if they fall we make a fuss on a rugby field and run on or tie the child's side tie the child's shoelaces before the game i'm like no 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 you know the impact, negative impact you're having on that child now is massive that we cannot reverse. So it's about educating parents and we bring them in, you know, we do yoga. And you're like, really? You're gonna do yoga where they could be out practicing tackling or passing or shooting, um, to win a side. I was like, no, no. That will the process of yoga bit of mobility, bit of mindfulness, bit of relaxation is actually going to help that. You know, stress is stress. Because next next lesson, Mr. Jones, your child is doing maths. So we now got him doing rugby for an hour and a, a cognitive stress on maths. So we've got two hours of stress in that child's life. Like, that, it's not going to get any benefits from that. So it's about joining it all together. But it it is... It is uh, a long-term process of educating everyone involved, really.
1: And in terms of just something you mentioned there, just a previous guest I've had on this podcast, uh, Tom Green, who works at St. Peter's, um, which is a state school in Gloucestershire. He said when we were chatting that he will do less cognitively demanding stuff in his strength conditioning work when the kids are in exam period. So he'll do more free play or stuff that involves less um, (laughs) required thought, should we say, whereas he'll do the more cognitive, cognitive stuff. So if he's, I don't know, teaching, I don't know, sprinting mechanics, Olympic lifts, whatever, he'll do that early away from the exam stress. Um, Does your curriculum um, do anything in that regard? So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, That, that is, but that is again, uh, the mindset, that's the planning, be planning around it. You know, the, the whole, um, the whole well-being syllabus finishes probably with six weeks of the summer left, and then we have lots of free play. We'll have lots of again um, exactly the same principle. You know, when you're around, um, when you're around exam periods, whether that's pre-planned or, but the mindset is there, is that we provide less physical stress really. But then like, I did a session, yes, last week with my 11 year old daughter and a couple of uh, key worker children here now, where I added cognitive load. So for sprinting, you know, they, again, they were 11 years of age. So we did a bit of uh, multiplying or division. And when they got the right number, then they had to sprint. So it's small things like that. Like I tell them, you, you got to go when it's comes when the number's 10, and then you go six times two and they go Ooh, and then you go five plus five they think and then they go so small things like that when there's no cognitive load but yes the principle we try and adhere to
1: and uh, just cycling back to you mentioned about p being void of sport uh, i appreciate this is a big question coming but in terms of teacher training then how do we rethink that because one of when i went through my teacher training a couple of years ago the biggest irony that I found was they told us at the start of the year, sport is not PE. but then all the CPD we had was uh, how do you teach cricket? How do you teach volleyball? And I was like, hang on a minute. Um, so how would you rethink teacher training with uh, sport is not PE
0: in mind? I, I think the UKSCA UK need to get involved. I, I do think uh, there needs to be like a foundational course. Uh, I know UKSCA have got some of their... Um, Critics or whatever, but I, I believe that they're trying to do the right thing, um, and the more of us that buy into it, the more uh, beneficial it would be for the masses. And I include that in physical education teachers. Which they, maybe they do already, and I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn. But maybe do in a PGCE, you need a, a block of strength and conditioning. But let's not call it strength and conditioning. Let's call it athletic development or physical literacy. And then you also need uh, the SAQ, Speed, Agility, Quickness certification. You know, again, that has some haters in SAQ, but it's it's a means to an end. It's about moving. It's about uh, we need as teachers, include my in that, a massive toolbox that we carry around with us. And we have a look at who's in front of us. We put the toolbox down and we go what do you need? We bring that tool out. What do you need? We bring that tool out. But you always have a big toolbox and it's up to you then how you use those tools based on what's in front of you. But at the minute, I think because schools are very sports and very traditional and Tom Brown school days and, and all that, that the toolbox for situations like COVID, remote learning or movement, the toolbox is like Oh, hang on! I can't play a game on Saturday. Oh, I can't do a training session. I can't do a team run. Um, what do I do? Oh, what I do? I put Joe Wicks on YouTube and you watch that. And it's like, um, but I, all you know, Joe Wicks has done awesome stuff. and massive respect for him. He's, he's changed the mindset of the population. So I, I will never, I will never criticize him. It's He's done a great job, but nobody else was taking it with us. But it's important we don't mix that up with physical education, which I think that's where a lot of... I've seen them on Twitter, a lot of PE teachers have got fragile about, but then I question the PE teachers who are not happy with the government saying that Joe Weeks Weeks is PE. What does their PE programme look like? Is it just tapping into their insecurities? That's all I see.
1: Yeah, and again, we could go down a uh, (laughs) we we could go down a rabbit hole on that. But again, I completely agree. It's just exposed teachers' lack of toolbox. Like, I think how much I learn in the first few weeks of my PGCE, and I think why not set up an exchange program where youth strength and conditioning coaches learn from primary and secondary school teachers about stuff like group management, logistics. Speaking to 30 kids who, I don't know, aren't engaged in sport, how are you managing the behaviour? And then in turn, the s coach could say, oh, here's some cool ways of disguising movement drills into a fun game. Imagine if you said to PE teachers who are already thinking, right, I've got my sports cap on. Maybe we come up with our own version of sport and it's looking more like a movement game, but there's still rules. And if we need to teach sport because it's on the curriculum and our head of department says we've got to do that, then we can still find the best of both worlds and we can expand both of those respective
0: professions toolbox. Absolutely. Uh, At the end of the day, it's putting the needs of the child first and that's whatever, whatever we need to do to make that happen.
1: Absolutely. And uh, if just moving to the final question I've got in relation to the uh, PE stuff, and that's how I know you're very big on skill acquisition and we'll talk about that in relation to cricket in a second. Um, But, How do you feel about the way that PE programs are typically run in the line of skill acquisition? I.e., you'll do I don't know six weeks of football, then you'll do six weeks of volleyball, then you'll do six weeks of cricket or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, so uh, like like we said, that that is not PE for us. That that needs to be (laughs) that is sport. That that needs to be in a different session. And I actually um, labelling. Sessions is is really important, is really key. What you call a session can determine the parent and the child and the coach's mindset. So I wanted – I've tried to change a programme every year. This year and last year, not not entirely happy. We've gone down a a wrong – not a wrong route, but a route that I I don't like, so we're going to go back, reset next year. But based on the same principles – but I think if you name sport, um, a skill acquisition or a motor learning session in the timetable, because for us, we have well-being. So well-being is well-being. It can be split up into physical and emotional well-being. That's what it is. I love it. Uh, we haven't been able to do the theory nutrition based, but we did. Uh, so that will stay. That, that's awesome. And stay, you know, in, in movement, we're teaching You know, and again, it's label when we say an energy system development, that could actually be swimming. That could actually be cross country. That could actually be um, on a bike. So that but it's labeling it. It's not labeling it. uh, Tom Brown school days, cross country punishment for not bringing your kid. It's energy system development. It's giving it a purpose, doing some tempo running for a year nine. In in an energy system development, we're doing tempo running on the astral. And then in the rest periods, we play some games, skill acquisition stuff, or stuck in the mud. But it's labelling it. It's getting away from the old tradition. And then the sports lessons. So for us, sports lessons, normally period five, the last lesson of the day. It's not actually uh, because you can't group them immediately. You can't go the A-team. Are with me the B team over there, the C team over there, and you go away straight away. What we try and do 90% of the time, and I think we're good at it. Everyone gets the same thing, everyone gets the same warm-up, everyone gets and I like the micro dose speed. So every sports lesson, there will be a sprint in there. So um, so we do a sprints, we do speed, and then we do a basic skill. We try and do one one basic skill because it takes it takes the brain six hours to try and uh, keep hold of that skill and research shows if you try and add another skill onto it it adds four hours to um, the brain plasticity and motor learning so if we do a drill now six hours time I'll remember it it'll be in there but then you need to keep doing it to make it habitual but it's and then we can split up into more specific needs for that group, whether that group there, who the C team needs some netball rugby, I'm talking reg, net uh, rugby here now because that's what I coach in the winter, or oh, whether B team actually let's do a bit of touch rugby but with a bit more constraints, a bit more rules. You know, you now have to pass backwards, you now have to pass five times, or whatever, you now can't give it the fastest lad needs to be on the wing, the fastest girl needs to be on the wing, so we need to find a way to get to the ball there. And then the A team then can be a bit more specific. And that to me is a skill acquisition lesson. It's not sport. And then after school then, we have our team runs, then that's sport. And and you just play then, you just play a game and and you develop... uh, you develop constraints and rules in the in the game itself, but they're playing. So we split it up. You've got your athletic development in your well-being. Phys- emotional and theoretical, physical understanding. You're learning skills. Hand-eye coordination. Hitting, whatever, striking, kicking, passing, all that stuff. And then, after school, you're doing your sport. Tactical awareness. Working as a team. Working as a for one goal that, that and i think if if we start splitting the terminologies up to make it specific to the to the purpose of that session i think we can progress that's my aim next year but whether i can have skill acquisition in the timetable is another thing yeah it
1: is funny though because i've had it myself where for example i don't know uh the kids are on fitness Now, as soon as you say fitness, 99% of the class are like, oh, are we going to run a bleep test? And I'm like, no, we're not going to do a bleep test. And again, that's, I could
0: rant about that on another episode. Um, Yeah, a bleep test, we we don't, we never ever do. So we don't do any aerobic testing uh, because um, uh, I think the stage of development where the kids are aerobic, the aerobic capacity will improve naturally through um, mother nature. So we don't we don't enforce that we don't overload aerobic training. Although I don't think kids are aerobically fit enough these days. So I've actually um, disagreed with my initial comment there. But <laughs> but it's I, I have the bleep test and that sort of stuff. We don't do bleep tests. I don't do yo-yo. We're just concerned with speed and power. Speed and power. So we do sprints. We do jumps. Um, and that's that's the baseline of our testing. And then as you get older, you do force decks and measure ground reaction forces and, and all that. But bleep test and your, your ish, no, no. And I mean, I've seen it. There's a fascination now. Sorry, I'm going off topic no, about no. a 2K run. There's a lot of top level organization have now got a 2K run as the baseline fitness test. Who, who comes up with that? Why 2K? I don't. I, I don't get the mindset of of some things, but like in most, most aspects of life, I'm getting very philosophical now, is that it normally comes from the opinion of one person. So you have one person with an opinion and then that filters down and then you end up with a whole structure that depends on that one person's opinion. And that's all I do in terms of my role at school or my role at Pace Lab or whatever is to go. Is that the right way? You know, I've got knowledge. I'm educated. I've taken time to read and I could have been a professional cricketer at the age of 17. No, but I didn't. I went to university for four or five years. So I know that I've got this opportunity to make a difference when I do retire. And what you're telling me is to do this. Actually, I don't think it's the right way. So that's all I'm trying to do. It's, it's funny because um, I think a couple of things that people forget is,
1: again, with the sport, athletic development, well-being, is when they hear myself or yourself say, oh, no, PE is not sport, they somehow think that it's like that. But actually, as you've just described there with the rugby progressions, yeah. if you've got someone who's has sound pedagogical principles, Then, for example, rugby in your curriculum, like you said, for your C team or your lesser able pupils might look a little bit more general and, you know, netball rugby, like you've said. But the issue we've got is when we try and apply rugby and it's like, right, well, we have to do tackling regardless of whether you're shit scared of contact or regardless of whether you're an academy player and you've been doing this for years. All of you are getting the same thing. And that's where I think we run into problems. And even
0: even with the bleep
1: test, I don't have... An issue with the bleep test itself. It's just from my own experience. I have jump tested kids as part of our fitness scheme of work, and even kids who aren't motivated by fitness, because of the nature of a jump test, it takes like three seconds. It's not going to get you out of breath. They're still quite motivated to beat everyone else. I've never seen dare I say I've never seen an overweight child pull in on a bleep test and then say, "Oh, what does everyone else get?" No, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Whereas if you somehow show a kid their jumps have improved just by doing, for example, I'll always drip feed in some jumping base games or some landing base games, kids find that motivating. And as you said, as a default of that, you're going to get stiffer ankles. You're probably going to get improvements in running economy. And by doing that and then going to do a sport, you're then getting more out of it. Like I've had kids, I've had kids, sorry to waffle on, but we had to pick kids for cross country earlier this year when COVID wasn't a thing. Um, Sorry, we didn't, um, just our school cross country, and then compared it to other schools in the borough. And I picked kids who in our basketball unit looked brilliant and were covering massive distances on the court. And uh, they, let my, they let me down massively on the day. <laughs> and everyone said, why didn't you bleak test them? That would have told you who the fittest kids were. And I was like, well, yeah, it would have done. But their perceived lack of conditioning, I would argue, isn't a physiological limitation because I've seen them on the court up and down.
0: Yeah. I'd argue I, if we... It's specificity, isn't it? It is specificity, but in terms of the uh, the bleep test, I think the bleep test is more of a mental yeah. a mental test because I used to have to do that, and I was at a stage in my career where was at Loughborough university. I was pretty fit you know I could do fourteens and fifteens and but then it got to a stage where I just switched off so and the brain loves it when you give it a goal, an end goal and knowledge of results and an intention and I always gave myself a cut off. Uh, I'd be really interested to see if – so do a test with whatever. And if you ask someone what you think you're going to get, I guarantee you they will not be far away from that because their intention is to get to level 12, and they might get to level 12, three, with a bit of shouting and cajoling, but it'll always be there. The mind is a wonderful thing. But as a, as a sort of – I do a, a chaos monkey session, it's called, Uh, where we plan everything. And this is for my cricket scholars. Uh, So they have a full periodized plan, triphasic, based on their limiting factors. Some might need more strength. Some might need weighted ball, isometrics, blah, blah, blah. And then this plan, they know what they're doing. Oh, I'm coming to do a speed session today. Awesome. I'm going to do a 50-meter sprint, and then I'm going to have five minutes rest because we're working on speed. So they come in with that attitude, but then now and again, I'd go, actually boys, girls, it's a chaos monkey and it's just carnage. And that could be a bleak test, but it's, it's, it's more, see, I would see CrossFit session as a chaos monkey session. It's just, uh, it's just a session to get them out of the comfort zone, take them to the place that they don't normally go to. Um, It's, it's not, it's not pre-planned. I'll just make it up on the spot and, 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 and it's called Chaos Monkey. So their faces, when I go, I was going to do it pre-lockdown. We had one, I said, you're going to get a Chaos Monkey session this week. And their faces were like, because it is nasty. You know, it, it is nasty. And that's what I would count a bleak test as a Chaos Monkey session.
1: Yeah. And it just goes back to, like you said, kids being anti-fragile. Because sometimes yeah. you say one word. And like you said, even with the sport, if they're like, what we're doing today say, "Oh, rugby immediately kids who are scared of contact think oh god they're not going to think oh well we might be doing rugby netball so it'll be all right like i've had a kid in one of my basketball lessons who was so scared of the ball that i just basically had to take him to the side and do some work separately and then integrate him as a magic player who could only receive the ball in a certain way yeah but kids will have such preconceived notions of specific words that their head is out of the game before you even got into it
0: that's why you need, to, you need to label the modules differently as well. Like um, when, when, we, when I started the new syllabus, you know, gymnastics was called robustness. But it was actually gymnastics. We had a gymnastics coach take it. Uh, and then that was for year seven and eight. But when the same coach then would take judo for year 10 and 11, and actually in the sixth form, it would turn into a bit of grappling, a bit of contact work for the rugby players. Unfortunately, he left but so that was the mindset label them differently don't label them gymnastics swimming cross country sport physical education fitness think differently man let's inspire these kids
1: thank you for listening to episode number 42 of the platform to perform podcast with today's guest stephen jones and myself as always todd davidson if you enjoyed the podcast I'd appreciate it if you could leave me a review via your preferred podcast platform and share this podcast with a coach, teacher or athlete that you think could benefit from listening to it. If you'd like to go one better than that and you're in the position to do so, then why not sign up to my Patreon, where signing up will give you exclusive access to my educational strength and conditioning content, my calisthenics kids lessons, which have been developed as a resource to improve strength, confidence and movement skill in an age-appropriate way in children, and you'll also receive access to all of the strength and conditioning programs that I've designed exclusively via my Patreon. Thank you very much for your support, and I'll catch you again in the next episode.